Hey there, friends. It's been a while. Um, I have no real excuse for it, except, you know, the world's kind of in shambles. I mean, I'm saying that from a very privileged place. I have food, um, I have a roof over my head. But, you know, uh, if you live in the States, things are a bit crazy right now, um, in terms of politics and um, all that kind of stuff and it can be a little overwhelming and sometimes sometimes it's good to have something like this um, to do and sometimes you need to shut sort of everything off and focus on things you can change so that's kind of what I did I listened to a lot of books on tape and did some research and stuff like that and, you know, kind of have like a, a different perspective on on some things. I recently read a book um, or listened to a book called uh, Natural Born Heroes. So this is by the same guy, Christopher Mc... is it McDougal? McDougal? I'm not good with the MC names, um, which sucks because I'm a runner and he wrote Born to Run, which if, if you've never uh, taken the time to listen to that one, you should. It does have a very sort of glorified uh, look at the Raramari or the Taramahu people. Um, it's it's when you first read it you're kind of blown away and then when you start running and sort of researching you realize that um i mean i would be thoroughly impressed with them as well i am i i love reading about them and i love watching documentaries about them but you know they are an, an indigenous people and uh they have it rough but either way um he wrote natural born heroes um, it's the full title is Natural Born Heroes, How a Daring Band of Misfits Mastered the Lost Secrets of Strength and Endurance. So when you see that, you're just like, oh, I don't know what I'm getting into. Um, but it was really, really good. It actually has to do with World War II. And I mean, a few other things, um, you know, there, the book does sort of jump back and forth. Um, it's not necessarily sort of a straight line. But, um, and one of the reviews I saw, it was like, it's kind of two books in one. You know, there's this sort of Nazi occupation of the Isle of Crete, which is in Greece. Um, and then sort of the examination of like natural movement and fitness methods that go back a really long time. So um, the, the big one that I sort of was really enthralled with was the story of Crete. So during Nazi occupation, uh, during World War II, they struggled very hard to take over the Isle of Crete. Um, not because it was a huge sort of military, whatever. Um, I mean, it's strategically they needed it, right? But I'm saying in the terms of the people that were there, uh, were just... I believe they're called Cretans. Um, which when you say that word, just like Cretan, is that like a bad connotation now? Now I have to look that up, but either way. Um, 
they sort of start this story uh, about how um, people on the Isle of Crete were very much against Nazi occupation, but and they fought like hell. But because of their sort of mountainous terrain and their way of life and and all that stuff, they literally kept the Nazis from um, taking over. And there's one story in there specifically is that there's this kidnapping of a Nazi general by just like these bunch of rebels, and they're they're not like military type people were they in the military yes but the biggest thing is that they sort of recruited these for lack of a better term like nerds who had studied all of these uh ancient warriors and things like that they were they were definitely much more academic than they were uh physical and said to them we need you to figure out how to help this island and we need you to be these these sort of guerrilla warriors and at first they were not very well taken because you know a lot of times military want it to be straightforward and, and they look at the rebels kind of like like we always look at rebels but they did kidnap this nazi general like right underneath the nazis um and they basically survived in the mountains of Crete, um, foraging and sort of living off of Cretan sort of hospitality, which is very, very simple. They're not, they're not, I wouldn't say they're not hospitable, but I guess there's a rule of thumb that, um, you know, if you get a visitor, you feed them, you give them wine, and you don't ask any questions. They're not going to be like, whatever, whatever, but they kind of survived off of that and the foraging. So the book goes into quite a bit. So it really, it sort of, I spiraled into, let me get into some of these World War II type stories. Um, in the book itself, you know, you learn a lot, one, about Crete and Greece um, and, and how they basically helped the allies um stop russia i mean stop hitler from getting into russia um which caused his army to sort of be stuck there in the winter um and you know we know how russian winters can be so you know it was a very very compelling book and if you have the opportunity to um to read it or listen to it, I highly recommend it. It does go into quite a bit of things, um, but I found it interesting enough that I kept listening. So it's gonna go into things like fascia, movement and performance, um, you know, and uh, fat ad adaptation, parkour, which is like a huge part of the book. Um, I always just thought parkour was good you know, insert the office, uh, funny thing, parkour, parkour, um, Wing Chun, which I used to do, um, Kung Fu back in the day and sort of why these people were better suited to, to do this because they spent most of their time being sort of like goat herders or sheep herders and, you know, farming in this sort of mountainous area. They were very used to walking long periods of time in places other people didn't and having to sort of boulder over things um 
And when you learn about what the role of fascia does, and I like once I finished the book, I actually immediately put in some pilometrics into my workout. Now I suck at them. I suck at them. It's like frog jumps and like scissor jumps. And eventually I want to get into jump roping. I super suck at that. But they really sort of explain why that's important um, and how that sort of keeps you from hurting yourself. So, you know, they they really utilize the people of Crete. Plus, the people of Crete were exceptionally badass. And when you hear about these stories about these women coming out and like stabbing Nazi paratroopers who were stuck in trees with pitchforks, you're just like, oh my God. Because they just, they, they did not want people to fuck with them. Um, there's also an interesting story in there about a, um, a modern day principal of a, a small school that actually stopped a, a man from um, killing a bunch of students. So I guess this guy had some kind of psychotic break and um, decided to go to a school with a machete. Um, and actually, I think the school was somewhere that one of his stepkids had gone. And uh, like he just lost, he lost his shit, whatever. It's a lunatic, right? So this principal sort of comes out and she's like, can I help you? And she realizes he has a machete. And she sort of puts her hands up, um, sort of crisscross in front of her body. And he just starts sort of hacking away at her. But she somehow um, knocks him down enough to go hit the alarm for everyone to shut down. And then she goes back out to stop him again because she realizes like this guy's not going to stop meanwhile he's hacking away at her um at some point she bear hugs him and just squeezes as tight as humanly possible and helps to subdue him she like lost fingers the whole nine yards and there's a big part of that book that is sort of trying to figure out why people do heroic things um Rockefeller at some point had done like a whole bunch of, he wanted to study things like that and realized there's no real way of knowing it. Um, she basically said, those are my kids. I'm not going to let someone kill my kids. Um, so, but surprisingly enough, what she had done was basically used her fascia when you put you cross your hands in front of you and there's very much like a wing chung uh position to that it, it sort of protects your center line but also it creates a sort of like rubber band effect um and she had actually said when um she had went to the guy's trial and they got a she got a chance to speak she said i had no idea what i was doing um all i know is that i love to hug my kids so I figured I would just hug you until you stopped and the man was like thank you because I, I, I do believe he just had a psychotic break um, why it was directed at children I don't know why it happened I'm not entirely sure but there's this sort of thing and she went back to work and she's still a principal at that school um, but it's sort of one of those things like you can never, never really figure out what would make someone run into a burning building if they didn't have to. 
And sometimes a lot of that has to deal with um, whether or not someone you love is in there. And she, she proved that she loves her students. So, but there's all these little stories about what makes a hero and also not to make people more than what they seem. There's a book and I can't remember the name of it. And when I figure it out, I'll put it in the show notes about how, um, people had sort of analyzed these great warriors, you know, Alexander the Great and so on and so forth. And they would say all these great things and, um, but they would forget all the shitty stuff they did. It's like, oh yeah, he was a great warrior, but he was a rapey bastard. It's like, no, you have to like, just because you do these great military things doesn't mean that you're a good person. Good people are good people. Um, it also doesn't give you the right to be a shitty person just because. And... Like I said, there's a lot in this book. Um, So it kind of let me go into um, sort of a spiral. Um, You know, I had read Phil Maffetone's um, The Maffetone Method, which is like a fat adaptation book. He is a a huge um, ultra distance runner guy. He's kind of a hippie, like lives out in a commune now. You can barely ever speak to him. He's the guy that tells it. Any runner will know this. And it's always the first mistake any runner makes. Anytime you have a long run, that's supposed to be an easy run. You're supposed to be slowing down. You're not supposed to be going at race pace. And that's that's your body's adaptation uh, to burning more fat and using that as fuel. You know, and you're supposed to use sort of other things like interval runs and what have um, to... Um, increase your speed when you need to race. The biggest thing in this book was, are you fit enough to be useful? And that really, really stuck with me. Um, am I fit enough to jump into a lake if someone I love is drowning? Am I strong enough to carry my wife out of a burning building? And a lot of those things are not things that we train for. We, the biggest issue here is that one, the, the book kind of does go back and forth, back and forth. And I'm sorry that I'm going back and forth, back and forth, but it's kind of like how the book is. Um, you know, he basically actually had said in a lot of um, like interviews and stuff like that, that he couldn't decide between these two books. And so he just like threw it all together. So he does go back and forth, back and forth. But, you know, um, being fit enough to be of use is not something that we as a, as Americans specifically, I can't speak for everyone else in the world. Uh, um, we're not used to that anymore. Most of us have desk jobs. And even if we don't have desk jobs, we have jobs where we do the same shit over and over again. Like when I remember I worked in a factory and all I did was I put fucking bottle tops on top of lotion and it was terribly repetitive. And that's not, that's not real world strength. You know, if you see real world strength, it's like when you see like roofers 
where they just like grab like the, I don't know what that pile of shingles is called. And they like put it on one shoulder and then go upstairs, like up, up a ladder. And then they slap it down and go back down and get another one. And then they're up there like balancing um, with their special fucking shoes. And then they're, they're, you know, like if you've ever, if you've never seen roofers work, it's amazing. Um, but it's not that sort of repetitive thing that as Americans were sort of used to. I truly believe that people who were around during that sort of World War One, World War Two era are a different breed of people. They're not, we are not made like that anymore. That whole keep calm, carry on people, you know, as, as people are shelling your neighborhood, nobody's, we're entirely, entirely too, um, privileged to be able to deal with any of that. We would just moan and cry. So essentially you want to read this book if you want to figure out a way for you to be useful. Um, and one of the things I've been doing is I've been doing these sort of interval runs, um, during the week or like hill, hill runs, um, or repeats. And one of the things I've been doing is when I go in the morning, usually that's when like all of like the, uh, the wildlife is sort of coming out. Um, I do live in a city, but where I run is kind of, um, not directly in the city. So it's like off these trails and these sort of like preserves and things like that. Um, so I get to see a lot of rabbits. And so I really suck at doing standard interval runs where it's like, you know, my, my watch will go off and tell me I have to go for that amount of time. I, I did it this morning and I have to rethink my life because it's so annoying and I know I have to do it, but what I, been doing um is if i see like a rabbit sort of on the side um i sort of make the decision that i'm going to go run as fast as i can towards the rabbit um and not hurt it or do anything like that i just want to see how fast it would be for me to catch up and that's more of a being useful thing if i had to hunt um and i had to chase something down that makes more sense. That's my body saying to me, go, this is your opportunity. Um, you know, and I don't think a lot of people have that in them anymore. So one of the things that you can do besides, you know, chasing after rabbits is sort of like that. You would say to yourself, oh, I see this, you know, there's a tree coming towards you or near you, you know, on the side of a light post or something like that. You just say, uh, in your head, like, Oh my God, if I don't get there as fast as possible, something's going to happen to someone I love, you know? And that's the thing. Like I'm really good at distance running. I can run all day at a, like a, a pretty okay speed, not anything bananas. Um, sprinting I'm not so good at. So I think to myself, I need to get to that tree to save my wife's life as fast as possible. Um, you know, and that's just sort of rewiring your brain. Um, this book really goes into things like why your amygdala makes the decisions for you to be safe because we do our mind is designed 
for for a couple of things. One, I always hate when people get on people's shit for being overweight. You were designed as a human, as a human. Our evolutionary process is this to find as much food as humanly possible and store it as energy because we don't know when it's going to come back. The problem is is that we have unlimited amounts of food. Even if you go to the store and you're like, "Oh, I can't find chicken because of the shortages." It doesn't fucking matter. You have food. You just eat something else. I know people eat out 3-4 times a week, which floors me, by the way. I only eat out like once a week. Um and but your body has been designed to say I need to eat all this stuff and hoard on to it. Problem is our minds are still in that state. So it's sort of breaking that state. And how do you do that? Everyone has to do it in their own way. Currently, I am jumping back into intermittent fasting. It worked really well for me. One, it helped just regulate my blood sugar. It helped with fasted workouts, you know, but not everyone can do that and i'm not a doctor so don't take my word um as you know a doctor i am not so your body is designed to keep you away from danger it's just like anyone who gets scared to you know like i'm terrified of riding a bike i try But then I see people who are just like, "Oh, I'm going barreling down whatever." I'm like, "Jesus Christ. How do you get over the fact that you know, and that's your amygdala doing this sort of long-term memory thing where it's like, this is dangerous." You know, and that has to deal with anything in your past. And if you do it more and more and more, it's going to your body is going to realize that it's less and less dangerous. Um you know and that's something that you have to sort of change on your own. I'm not saying go jump off a building or do anything ridiculous, but you know, trying something new just because you can um in order to sort of reset that nervous system. Um you know and it also has to do with physically are you are you able And I think most people they sort of shy away from exercise and things like that because they're like, "Oh, I suck at it." Well, yeah, everybody sucks at something. We all suck at it. It doesn't mean that you have to have this thing where your numbers match up with somebody else's numbers or you, you know, I I follow a lot of people on TikTok and I follow a lot of people that are runners and like, you know, sort of um fitness type people. Um if I thought to myself I shouldn't run because I can't run an 8 minute mile, I would never go out the door. It's just simply not something that you need to do to yourself. Um everyone has to start somewhere. So, where do you start? So before we sort of get into how do you make yourself become more useful? Let's I just wanted to um 
there was this one part of the book and like i said the book goes all over the place i'm going to include a link for it i really do recommend it if you're into um world war ii history if you're just into um you know heroism things like that um and you know fitness it like i said it goes all over the place but there's one quote i'm going to read it to you directly from the book um it says as a rule of thumb performance aberration in a basic skill is a good way to evaluate whether it's natural to a species when you spot a giant ability gap between ages and genders you know you're looking at nurture not nature so what does that mean women are generally told that we're weaker than men we are the fairer sex um but you would never tell a lioness that you would never tell a tigress that you would never tell a female elephant that um they simply don't have that growing up um one of the main things is that in the book they talk about wing chung wing chung is a uh, chinese martial art that was supposedly developed by a woman it's designed for smaller people um and it's designed specifically for women and it is one of the probably more well-known chinese kung fu uh, martial arts but i wanted to sort of drive that that point home i think a lot of the time um women are told that we're weaker and therefore shouldn't even try i would not fuck with any of those cretan women ever any of those women coming at out of their their homes and their barns and out of their fields wielding whatever um to get stabby with a, a nazi at no point did they think i'm a woman i can't do this um and that was a really really important part of this book is that a lot of times we look at the female version of our species not other species just us in the way that we have nurtured women to think of themselves um and if i have any women listeners i don't want you to get stuck in that sort of rut okay so now we're going to sort of get into what you can do to become more useful. These people on Crete, that principle, all the the heroes that you're going to read about or listen to in that book don't necessarily have endless amounts of training. I think the biggest problem especially with any of the movies that we watch um or even some of the books that we read is that we have this sort of mental ideal of what a super hero looks like um and it's very glamorized it's very six packed abs wave thin wh- whatever the case may be um that's not useful Everyone has their own thing. I'm not going to knock bodybuilders and all that other stuff, but you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger has had like four or five heart attacks. It's not useful. Um So you want to be able to look at it from this very simple equation. Which hard 
are you going to take? Because being unhealthy is hard. Working out is hard. But one has more benefit than the other. So you can say to yourself, well, it's just too hard to work out. I'm just going to stuff my face. But then you end up on medications and, you know, have weird, you know, uh, ailments, gout, diabetes, you know, things like that. Those are hard too. Taking medication every day is hard. Feeling like shit every day is hard. But would you rather have that hard or the hard of saying, I'm going to go for a half hour walk today. I'm going to pick one meal a day that's super healthy. And make that like the focus of your day. Because we are designed. We're designed to want the fats and the sugars and the carbs and the yumminess. We're designed for that. Because we don't know if we're going to have it the next day. problem is we do have it the next day. So maybe you start off really slow and you say, you know what? I've decided that every day I'm going to start off with a really healthy breakfast. Whatever that may be. It could be oatmeal with real fruit in it. You know, not the package oatmeal, like real oatmeal. A drizzle of honey. Some almond milk. And I'm going to start my day off like this. Every day. And then I know I did this one thing. Or you're going to have a a really good omelet with lots and lots of vegetables. And, and, you know, um, or you're going to make yourself some kind of disgusting green smoothie. I'm just not into smoothies, guys. Some people love them, so. And you make that that focus. What you're going to find is when you start doing these small little things, these incremental things, they start adding up. So you say to yourself, for this whole month, I'm going to do a healthy breakfast every day, no matter what. It doesn't matter if we go out to eat. It doesn't matter if whatever. It doesn't matter if I'm at a friend's house. I'm going to make the best choices I can possibly make in that moment, no matter what, for 30 days. And then all of a sudden you get through the 30 days and you go, you know what? That really wasn't as hard as I was making it out to be. And then you say, okay, well, you know what? I'm doing a healthy breakfast. How about I make sure that I do a really healthy dinner three times a week? Whatever that semblance of healthy is. Like I said, I don't I don't like particularly picking diets for people and things like that. Um, you have to find out what works for you. And you make these small incremental changes. The thing about the people on Crete is that they lived very close to the land. We most of the time in society now do not we're not farmers we're especially not hunter and gatherers anymore which is really what we're designed to be we're designed i think there's one part of the book where it says if you if you look like a naked person like a naked human we're just we're just like a hot mess we're we're, we have weird arms and legs We, we don't climb well we don't do anything well the only thing we do well is hunt gather and share And we just don't do that stuff anymore. 
um, on Crete, they do a lot of foraging. There's a great, there's a great segment in that book about a, a, a ballerina, an ex-ballerina whose mother or grandmother raised her because her mom was a ballerina and how they would go foraging for these sort of wild whatevers. Um, I think she's in San Francisco now. And she realized that was her real passion, was teaching people how to forage for food to sort of eat like our grandparents did, whether it's dandelion or burdock or um, it's the one that all the Koreans used to fight over in New York. Ginkgo, right? If you're in New York, you know what I'm talking about. These fucking seeds, they smell like ass. But they're good for you. And if you cook them up the right way, they put them in kanji or porridges and they eat them all the time. We don't do any of that anymore. So maybe an incremental change is this. Getting one of those, you know, Peterson plant identification books, going out there and deciding, I'm going to learn two different types of trees. I'm going to learn how to identify black walnuts and sarsaparilla, right? Because you can have sarsaparilla tea. We've all had sarsaparilla soda. Um, that's a small incremental change. Not only is that, but you're also going out and walking around and looking and identifying and learning something. That's a small incremental change. It doesn't mean you have to go off the grid and live like, you know, a hunter-gatherer in a hut and blah, blah, blah. You have to make a small incremental change. A very easy incremental change is saying, I'm going to go on a walk every single day for 30 minutes. Now, you may not be physically capable of going 30 minutes without feeling like you're going to die. Fine. Start off with 10 minutes. Break it up into three times a day. Say, I'm going to go out in the morning. I'm going to go out for one of my little breaks at work, and I'm going to go out after dinner. It's good for your digestion anyway to walk after dinner. So it's these small little changes. What you're going to find is that those little things all add up. And you can start sort of heading back to how we used to be. I'll tell you what, man, my grandparents were tiny ass people. Like I, first off, I'm the tallest woman in my family. I'm only 5'4". I, I clearly come from a family of like pygmies or something. And I remember one, my grandmother walked everywhere because she never drove. She never drove. She lived in New York <clears throat> most of her marriage. You know, I think they came up here when they were in their 20s um, from Puerto Rico. And then she used to tell me that in Puerto Rico they didn't have a car or she had horses, right? Um, she walked everywhere. I remember once I was staying with them, and I'm, I'm not really sure why I had off of school, but I did. But it was like a voting day. Like, she had to go vote and she was about it, she told me from a very young age that it was my job to vote when it was time for me to vote. So she was not playing games. I was, I, I had to have been a teenager. There was no way I was driving. I know that. So anyway, she's like, oh, we have to go to the, the voting 
whatever, uh, let's go. We fucking walked. And of course in, in New York, it's always like, uh, no, it's close enough to walk. It's just cause you don't want to hail a cab and those shits are expensive. You know what I mean? Um, and I can't imagine what Uber's about right now in New York, but we walked. She walked everywhere. When we wa- when we went to the grocery uh, to, to go food shopping, we used to carry this fucking cart with us. And we would go to, we would walk down there. It would take us 20 minutes to get there. Then we'd have to do the shopping. Then I'd have to drag the cart back. And that's another 20 minutes. And then we'd put away all the food. And then, you know, she cooked a, a lunch or a dinner or whatever it was. It was a different way of thinking. So... They, like I said, they were tiny people. I, I remember, um, like I said, my grandmother walking over there, everywhere. But I remember my grandfather being freakishly, like, strong. Strong. This man's hand strength was unbelievable. But he was maybe 120 pounds. Maybe 140. I don't even know. He was so tiny. But they spent their whole lives doing things sort of an old-fashioned way. And it wasn't like we didn't have fun. This is one story I tell people all the time. I had lived with my grandparents for a little bit when my parents had split up. And, you know, my mother was a hot mess, but that's for another episode. And, um, you know, they barely spoke English. My grandfather spoke much more English than my grandmother. So I get up, like, stupid early one day. And I sort of make my way out of the bedroom. And I see my grandfather, he's fully dressed, right? He always, always wore khakis, always had a hat, always had a button-up shirt. He was heading out and I was like, where are you going? And he was like, I'll be right back. And I'm like, okay. And he came back, he went to the bakery, right? And he comes back with this fucking box that's like sort of wrapped in that string and a big loaf of French bread. And he made coffee, right? So we had espresso and we both had like a little, little pastry, like a little Neapolitan type thing. Um, and we sat there and we just were bullshitting doing that. My grandmother wasn't even up yet. Um, and then he goes and he wakes her up and then he proceeds to make us breakfast. He makes us like eggs with the French bread and the whole nine yards. But the difference is, is that when you walk that much and move that much, you can have those little things and still have those little moments. It's not like you have to have some kind of austere um, existence. He enjoyed himself. He enjoyed cooking. He enjoyed his, his life, but he also walked to the bakery to get us those things. And I think that's something we we can really implement now. You know, maybe you don't live in the type of place you can walk to your store. I I know not not everyone lives in the city, but you can park your car really far away from the entrance. And then instead of taking the cart all the way back to your car, take all your bags, make it in one trip, carry it back to your car. There's this thing where we don't carry things anymore. We don't walk anywhere anymore. We don't do anything anymore. We immediately sit down and watch Netflix for hours at a time. And I'm not against it. I'm not against it. I watch the shit out of Stranger Things. Um, But I've gotten into the habit of on Fridays, if I don't have to drive to the Mexican market, which I do have to do this Friday, 
I usually just walk down to the local supermarket with a backpack. And on that day, on Fridays, I usually go and buy beer. Um, and then I get whatever bread we need for the weekend and whatever little treats we want. And then I walk back. I don't want you to think I'm not sitting at home eating, you know, occasionally eating pa potato chips or cookies or something. I do. It's just I make sure it's on days that I know that I've worked out quite a bit. And then I'm going to go walk and get it. And those are the small things that you can really do. Um, if you know your water intake is shit, say to yourself, well, with breakfast, I'm going to have a glass of water. Just make it a point. It doesn't have to be you walking around with a big jug and I'm going to get my water right today. And you have this big gallon and it's overwhelming. Just my wife and I were talking about that the other day. It was like 15 years ago, nobody walked around with a water bottle. Shit. When I was a kid, I don't remember ever like, I mean, we had water at our meal times and if you needed water you went to like the fountain which is like disgusting now that you think about it you know we drank from the hose it wasn't like i needed to have my water um everywhere i went but i still managed to get enough water i clearly didn't die um but you start off small say i'm gonna drink this glass of water with with breakfast or lunch that's it I think sometimes people want to get really wrapped up in um, the results of it all that you forget to just start. You're like, oh, I ate really good this whole week and I didn't lose any weight. That's not what we're doing. We're training to be useful. Will you be able to carry a loved one on your back? Will you be able to walk miles upon miles in some kind of apocalyptic hellscape? Will you be able to crouch down and hide? Um, would you be able to forage and hunt? Most people do not. They have this sort of glamorized view of it. And I think a really easy way to start is just to start something. So if you're already one of those people that goes for a walk every day, pick something else. Do it for a month straight and see how you feel. You're gonna find that those things snowball into other things. Um, and really get this book. I honestly, you can get, um, if you have the Libby app, which is like your library app, um, it was available at my library and um, I listened to it for free. I may have to buy it though, because I, as much as it goes all over the place and just much, much like this episode has gone fucking everywhere today. <clears throat> um, it's a really good reference. There's a lot of references in this book that I need to look into. And I, and also there's a bunch of references that I already had books from people who, who he, he had talked about. And I was like, oh shit. I, I know who Phil Maffetone is. Not a lot of people do. Um, you know, but the biggest takeaway, and this is a quote directly from the book, right? You can't fight natural instinct. We talked about how we naturally keep ourselves out of danger, right? But you can make natural instinct fight for you. So go do something new and different. Trust me, 
whatever you think is happening, if you think people are looking at you because you're big or unfit, nobody gives a fuck. More importantly, stop giving a fuck. Get healthy so you can be of use to your family and loved ones in case of an emergency. And that's it, friends. So next, uh, since I'm on a World War II spiel, um, I'm actually doing that movie Defiance. It was a 2008 film about uh, the Belsky brothers, which is another great book, but it definitely is not like the movie um, about uh, German guerrilla, I mean, Jewish guerrilla fighters hiding out in the woods. Really, really great Defiance. Um, So that's going to be the next one. Do something that scares you a little bit and do something every day, a little bit of something to make yourself useful. Check out the Facebook page, um, check out the website, and I will talk to you guys soon. Stay safe. Take care.